Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the December 24, 2023 session, focusing on Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary knew. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Crystal Shepherd. And I'm Daniel Glaze. Can you believe that we have arrived at the session for Christmas Eve? That's crazy. Not really. <laughs> no. I thought it just turned 2023. Yeah, I'm there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about March, isn't it? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Unbelievable. It really is. It really is. We are excited to be here and to be discussing really interesting passage today. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's the Sunday of love. We are taking a look at a passage that, yeah, as I mentioned in the last uh, podcast episode, we've departed just a little bit from the scope and sequence that we normally follow with Nurturing Faith. We're still you pulling a text from the lectionary, so it's related. But we've decided to look at this text from Luke, which offers Mary's song, uh, or the Magnificat. And It is a fascinating passage, in part because we get a look into Mary and her mind and her heart a bit in this song. For the lead-in question today, I thought we might ask a question of Nikki and Crystal, because both of you have children and have been pregnant, obviously. And I wonder, in what ways does pregnancy make you think about the state of the world? I don't know about Nikki, but I was pregnant two different times during Advent. So it was the first time I was serving in a church. So that was very meaningful. It was my first pregnancy. And then the second time was, of course, with this latest child. And he was born in January of 2022. Yeah, I think... There's a lot that's happened in between those two pregnancies. With the first one, my daughter was born in 2003, so it was a short time after, sorry, 2007. Woo, I was married in 2003, but it was still, (laughs) woo, time flies, right? But it was still close enough to 9-11 that I think, and there was still, there's always turmoil in the world, but I think like when you're pregnant, you start to think about what kind of world is my child going to get and how can I make it better for my children? And so I think with both, with all of my pregnancies, but with both of those, especially going through Advent and hearing Mary's song and thinking about what it means to be waiting for a child and thinking about what is that child's world going to look like and how is life going to change for them and what hardships are they going to face or what fears are there going to be? Like I grew up with the fear of the cold war and nuclear war and things like that. I don't know what the hopes my mom had and what she wondered about the world. Now I think about global warming and what kind of world and there's wars. It feels like almost constantly and racial strife. So what kind of world Will my children be inheriting to the extent that I work for change? I try to recycle. And my kids <laughs> choose to throw plastic in the trash can sometimes. And I'm like, <laughs> Take do you that, not Mom. see that I'm trying to make a better world for you? But I, I do think that, not to belabor it, but that, but when you're pregnant with a child, I think you think about what world are they going to get? And what if I'm not in that world with them? What does that look like for them? 
Yeah. And how do they make it through this world? And how do I teach them to navigate all the possibilities that there could be? And how can I make this world better for them? Yeah. I don't know if that's been Nikki's experience, but that was certainly how it felt for me. Oh, so very similar. Um, absolutely. When when I was pregnant, um, my first was in 2007. Also, we really are like the same person. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, when I was pregnant, I certainly thought about the world I was bringing my children into. And I thought about it on both very local levels and then worldwide levels. I lived in middle Georgia. I'll just say that. And the schools in the area where I was going to be were concerning. And I remember thinking, how am I even going to, I'm pregnant. I don't even have a child in my home. And I found myself figure, trying to figure out what kind of school I would send my kids to and having a lot of concern and anxiety over competing concerns. Cause I'm definitely somebody who wants to support public school. But in that situation, I was like, I might have to send them to private. And I felt really awful. So you do, you start to think forward about a lot of things that are going on, both that were going to affect them locally and that will affect them in the world. And I do think that the concern about global warming is the piece that I have I worried about most when I was pregnant and I worry about now. I worry that we have sentenced our children with a life of scarcity mm-hmm. in resources and or with a life of diminishing resources. And I worried about that when I was pregnant. And I worry about that now as a mother. And when I was pregnant with a girl, I was definitely aware of the dangers she would face. What she would face that would be different than when I was pregnant with my son. Just very aware that I found myself coming up with ways to teach her to to live wholehearted, but also with sense (laughs) Mm -hmm. to take care of herself like how do you teach a child to live wholly w-h-o-l-y like completely whole in the world while also protecting themselves from it Mm -hmm. and so I would find myself trying to come up with ways that I could show them that and teach them that and yeah I think I could probably talk about this all day and take (laughs) the whole session David have opened up something certainly Mm -hmm. yeah having children it certainly does bring all of that up Yeah. Thank you both for sharing. Mm -hmm. Having kids, it's one of the biggest things we do in life and certainly very intimate and connected, I think, in really deep ways to the way we see the world, the way we hope for the world and and our faith. So we have this really terrific passage today, and I'm glad Daniel is going to take us into it. Daniel, cheers. Thank you. So, We may all recall, certainly, I know Crystal and David will recall, exactly two years ago, devastating tornadoes hit the western part of Kentucky. may recall that. Now, this is a sad and dark story, of course, but some of us saw a bit of a silver lining, a bright spot, perhaps. You might have caught it on the news or social media. The video clip has been viewed almost 8 million times. Jim Finch, an African-American man born in Paducah, packed up his grill and a truckload of food and water, and drove to that hard-hit town of Mayfield. Jim set up his grill and began cooking. A local TV reporter came by and asked what he was doing. In the video, Jim says, 
I know they don't have any electricity. That means they don't have any restaurants, no running water. So I just figured I would do what I could do, show up with some food and some water. When he was asked what prompted him to do this, Jim said his mother always told him, son, just do what needs to be done. Someone else moved by the video made this online comment. Only a good man with a big heart will seek out hungry people to feed. Rather than sitting at home, thanking God he was not personally affected, he asked God, what would you have me do? What Jim did, he did for one reason, one reason alone, love. In an otherwise grim situation, Jim responded with love. Love is the theme for today, the fourth Sunday of Advent. I know it's Christmas Eve, but the baby hasn't been born yet, liturgically speaking at least. Today is about love. Love is the reason Mary did what she did too. When she had a million questions, when she had a thousand other things to do, Mary responded with love and faith. She opened up herself and her own body to be the mother of Jesus Christ. One day Mary was minding her own business when an angel of the Lord appeared before her. Gabriel, God's messenger, says, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, the Son of the Most High, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Picture this for a moment. Mary has been visited by an angel who knows her name. She's been told that she's to be pregnant and bear in her own body the Son of God. Now, Mary may be young. She does know where babies come from. So she says, I'm a virgin. How can this be? Don't you know Mary was scared, uncertain, wondering what in the world is going on? How is she supposed to understand this news? How would she tell her family? How would she tell Joseph? And who in the world would believe her? And here's the incredible thing. In the midst of the confusion, in the midst of wondering why there's an angel standing before her, this angel knows not only her name, but that there's a baby growing inside her. In the middle of all that, Mary says, okay. And if you ask me, that's the real miracle here. Not that Mary was carrying within her womb God in human flesh. I suppose that's a miracle too. But for me, the real miracle is that Mary said yes. And I believe she said yes because she has a heart full of love. This love inspires the song she sings. Mary sings, My soul magnifies the Lord. We call it Mary's song or the Magnificat which is the first word of the Latin version of today's scripture passage. Magnificat anima mea dominum. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary sings a beautiful song magnifying the great love of God. She sings of a God who humbles the high and mighty and lifts up the poor. She sings of a God who fills the hungry with food and all manner of good things. She sings of a God whose justice and righteousness will prevail whose peace and mercy and love will triumph in the end. 
She sings of a God who loves all people, regardless of their gender, skin color, age, how much they earn, or whom they love. She sings of a God who gives us a vision of a world where differences are not solved by violence and children never go to bed hungry. Now, Christmas can be a difficult time for so many of us. I'm not sure why it is, but Thanksgiving and Christmas seem to amplify emotions for us. Many of us this time of year realize once again just how lonely or anxious or sad we really are. What makes all this harder, I think, is that everyone tells us this is the season of joy. And it is. There are many reasons to be joyful. But for too many of us, there are many reasons not to be joyful, too. And I don't mean to minimize anyone's pain, so I ask this question delicately. Can you still stand with Mary and sing her refrain? Though everyone else has let me down, God is still with me, and so my soul magnifies the Lord. And even if you can't do that, maybe you can listen to Mary sing. Listen to her sing of the world that God is still creating. Listen to her sing a beautiful song of God's love. Maybe even listen to her sing until the tune takes hold in your own heart and her song becomes your song. And that's a little background on our text for today. Daniel, thank you for that background into the scripture and for giving us a fresh way to look at Mary's song. In true ADHD fashion, as you were talking, when you said, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. We look at magnify and we think of praise or extol. And that is absolutely, I'm sure 100% what is being said here. But I think like magnify my soul magnifies the Lord. So I was like, listen to all you were saying. And I was like, and you were talking about how this is a representation of God's love. And I started thinking like her soul, her acceptance, her willingness to do this brought into sharper focus, because that's what magnifying does. It brought into sharper focus, God's love and what God looked like. And so I was like, whoo, that's, that's exciting to me because it gives a nuance to me to this scripture that we hear so often every, every Christmas time, every Advent week, I say every, most of the time you're going to hear about Mary's song. And so to think about it as her soul brings into clearer focus, God, and her willingness to do this brings into clearer focus, our Lord. I don't know. That's pretty, it's pretty transformative for me. And it gives me so much hope and love and just like peace to know that that is there for us. And it's a new way of looking at it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I'd never thought of it that way before, but man, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, know. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I like that a lot. I'm probably going to use that a lot now. <laughs> like, I'm going to, I think I'm going to start asking the question what brings God's love into sharper focus? Mm-hmm. That's a new question for me now in my mm-hmm. life. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, and I do think that's, I think, okay, so sorry, ADHD fashion again. <laughs> when you talked about, 
that the word magnify stood out for you. Um, it stood out for me too, <laughs> but I didn't think in terms of focusing, I thought in terms of growing bigger. Mm. And so that Mary's soul multiplies God, like in the sense of like God's mm. presence and God's love and God with us. And what I, and I think what that tells me is we all have that ability. We all have the ability to say yes to God. And in doing so, we make God bigger to the world, more visible, maybe more present. Yeah. And that makes sense because when you read the song, the verses are about a sharper focus of who God is and what God does. And mm -hmm. if we really mm -hmm. loved as God did, this is what the world would look like. Right. Mm -hmm. Y'all, can you imagine that world? I would love to. Interrupt someone. No. Mm -hmm. All right. So that causes me to think, yes, it's a beautiful song. And I'm, I am not putting down Mary at all, but none of this is surprising. The way she sings is the God we are given testimony of throughout Scripture. This is the way God topples the mighty and lifts up the lowly. God sends the rich away and feeds the hungry. We know that. Th then why do we continue to ignore how Mary sings about this kind of God? And here's what I mean. And I, I seem to recall we talked about this. We, we discussed this passage several years ago, as we often do, as when it comes up in the lectionary cycle. But among the most popular versions of the Magnificat, and it's sung very often in evangelical churches, they stop after verse 50. Mm -hmm. It's the, and the, the most popular version you can listen to on Spotify right now will stop after verse 50. I don't think that's a coincidence. We, no. many churches do not even read this. We know from our history that certain parts of the Magnificat, and the Magnificat in general was prohibited from, it was illegal to read in public, and not a thousand years ago, but as, recent as recently as the 1980s in parts of Central America, yeah, where yeah. governments wanted to suppress people by not allowing them to, to read and recite this. I guess what I'm getting at, and I'm afraid we know the answer, but... On the one hand, I guess Mary's song is consistent with the God we read about in Scripture, yet we continue to ignore what it teaches us about the world that God envisions for us and how we should seek to bring about that world too. Do you know what I'm getting at? Yes. This is a, an incredibly powerful hymn. And you are right that we read these words in other places in scripture, but it is rare that we fully listen to them. Yes. And it does not surprise me one bit that governments and people in power um, take it away from those who don't have power or try to keep them from reciting it and saying it and reading it. 
that is a that's a trick that's been used throughout the ages to oppress people. Her song is so very. I was getting ready to finish your sentence. Oh, go ahead. Finish the sentence. I was going to say subversive. Yeah, that's the word. It is. And I think we are afraid to. It's like we're afraid to hear those words and let them sink into us because it's scary to be subversive. It's scary to go against the status quo. And I think. It's hard because the world obscures this view of God. We see all this horrible stuff. And so you're talking about God invites people in, God feeds the hungry, but we don't see that necessarily happening in our world. And so it's very hard and it's a very scary thing to look at. And it's also, I think, scary to look at our complicity in those practices in the world that are counter to what God would be doing. I don't like looking at that in myself because, of course, I think that I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm really not. And so if we can take a look at ourselves and, and find the ways in which we could live into Mary's song and that kind of world, I think that would be, I think it would be amazing and beautiful and challenging. Because it magnifies who God is. Mm-hmm. Yes. So in 2017, a mere two years before she passed away, Rachel Held Evans wrote a sermon about this passage. And in typical, first, in typical fashion, she was as subversive, <laughs> and Rachel Held Evans was known to be subversive in her perspectives and provocative, which I think we so need. Mm-hmm. And so I want to read to you just a portion of that sermon, and we're going to link it in the show notes if you want to go read the whole thing. It's wonderful. But this is just a portion of it. She said, when the Magnificat is sung in a warm, candlelit church at Advent, it can be easy to blunt these words, to imagine them as symbolic, nonspecific, comforting. But I'm not feeling sentimental this Advent. I'm feeling angry restless. And in this season, I hear Mary's Magnificat shouted, not sung. In the halls of the Capitol building, he has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. In the corridors of the West Wing, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. In the streets of Charlottesville, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Among women who have survived assault, harassment, and rape, he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Among the poor, the refugees, the victims of gun violence, and the faithful ministers of the gospel who at great cost are speaking out against the false religions of nationalism and white supremacy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. With the Magnificat, Mary not only announces a birth, she announces the inauguration of a new kingdom, one that stands in stark contrast to every other kingdom, past, present, and future, 
that relies on violence and exploitation to achieve greatness. With the Magnificat, Mary declares that God has indeed chosen sides. And it's not with the powerful, but with the humble. It's not with the rich, but with the poor. It's not with the occupying force, but with people on the margins. It's not with narcissistic kings, but with an unwed, unbelieved teenage girl entrusted with the holy task of birthing, nursing, and nurturing God. This is the stunning claim of the Incarnation. God has made a home among the very people the world casts aside. And in her defiant prayer, Mary, a dark-skinned woman, a refugee, a religious minority in an occupied land, names this reality. God is with us. And if God is with us, who can stand against us? May we again hear Mary's Magnificat as being shouted, not sung. For we need to hear it this day. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. you. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.